Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he begins it, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All of it is chasing after the wind. Here's a man that has everything that the world has to offer. You know the story of Solomon. And the person writing here, let's just assume it's Solomon, identifies himself as Solomon, has gotten to the end and he looks back and says, none of that stuff mattered. All that money I had, all those wives, concubines, that didn't matter. Everything I did under the sun, this side of heaven, not where God is, here, didn't amount to anything. And you get to chapter 12, and he's sort of reflecting on that. And so tonight, what we're going to do is think through what are those things we are pursuing. How can we, as believers in Jesus, if we're going to age with grace. It's fitting that I'm doing this. Uh, today is Connie's birthday. It is. Today's your birthday. I'm not saying how old she is. I just got a really hard look up front here. So I got it under control. Um, aging with grace. Let's read the text and then let's just talk through it. Because there are some, some parts of this passage in chapter 12 that are odd. So you read it and think, what does that mean? And I'll get to a couple of them and I'm going to say, I don't know what that means. Because sometimes you have to sort of take a guess, right? Take an educated guess. You can't always know, but we want to use the same laws of interpretation that we use, that I use on Sunday when I'm preaching through Romans. What do we do there? You bring that same idea to the text. So let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It's not a long passage. Let's start in verse 1, and we'll read on through chapter 12. What do I have in your handout? 4 or 14? Oh, we're going to finish the whole thing tonight, huh? All right, we better get with it. Unless I want to preach like Brian does. All right. Poor Brian, every time I'm up here, I'm giving him a hard time. About Let's start in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So, if, if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you 
in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life, they are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the evil days, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, for which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. But look at this aging process. We're going to talk about that tonight. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they're few, those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low and the one and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Listen to verse 6. It's a beautiful description of dying. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, it's all vanity. Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. Here's a good... Um, Good memory verse for a college student. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Amen to that, right? The end of the matter, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Father, we pray you would give us insight, feed our souls with your word. We're hungry and thirsty for who you are. We want to know you. We trust this is your word. We don't understand it all, but we believe that these are the words of life and they point us to our need for Jesus. And so we ask you to help us in Christ's name. Amen. Aging with grace. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to run quickly through a couple of verses. You'll notice on your handout um, the word be. So be bold, be humble, be nice, that sort of thing. And be nice, not one of them, but you get the idea, right? Let's go to the first one. Verses 1 and 2. Be bold. Let me read verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Nobody's actually very clear as to what that might mean. I've done a lot of research. I've read everybody has a, a different opinion. So maybe this is the idea of ships leaving, carrying produce to another shore. Uh, 
Solomon's kingdom, did a lot of shipping. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's actually what the writer's saying. Just, just throwing your bread on the water. I'm not sure why you do that. You're feeding the ducks or something. What, what does this even mean? The idea behind it, though, is casting. Because you get that in verse 1. Throwing, uh, cast your bread upon the waters, you'll find it. Give a portion to seven or to eight. It's the idea of when you go into something being completely in it. Not being indecisive, being decisive. It's what Jesus would say, the idea of he who loses his life, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life for my sake will get it. That The measure that you give will be measured back to you. You see that again in, in verse 2. Give a portion to seven, even to eight. You don't know what disaster is going to happen on earth. I really am not sure what these two verses mean, except the impulse behind is letting things go. Have casting, giving, and the, the trust that you have to jump into something. So the feeling behind, and I really am judging emotion, the feeling behind is, is jumping all the way in. God has called us to do that. Why can we do that? Because we as Christians can have confidence in God's goodness that sovereignly is in control of all things. It's why you're able to make a decision and not know it's the end of the world. It's why you're able to go somewhere, make a decision, and think, well, if, I, if this is the wrong decision, does it mean I have missed out on all the opportunities that God might have had for me? I picked the wrong door, I walked into it, and now I can never get back. Well, no. You can make a decision trusting that even if it's the wrong one, God will redeem it for his own glory. Be bold. I would also say to be resolute. I'll drop down with verse 3 and 4. Resolute. Because we grapple with things that are beyond our control. Get to verse 3 and 4 and um, they're descriptive, right? Understand the difference between prescriptive and descriptive? So prescriptive is, hey, you need to do this. Here are ten things you need to do. The Ten Commandments or Jesus giving uh, the Sermon on the Mount, taking the Ten Commandments and telling you, you should do this. That's prescript. I'm prescribing it to you. Descriptive is the preacher has taken a step back and he's just observing. Verses 3 and 4 is descriptive. He's observing something. Notice what, what he's observing. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. I wasn't, it doesn't feel profound, right? Right, you read, I look up in the sky, here comes the clouds, very dark, it's full of water, and it's going to rain. That's basically what verse 3 says. Or, verse 4, even more profound. I'm sorry, the rest of verse 3. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, that's where it will lie. I mean, that's a... Right, you're, you're like, what do I do with that? Well, we step back and say, this is, a, this is a description of the way the world works. God has set it in order. This is how he works. And you read these two verses, and these are two things. The rain, big tree falling, two things that are beyond your control. Two things that you can't do anything about. The, the, the fallen tree, at the end of verse 3, the fallen tree has not consulted one person for where it might fall. It just falls. 
And the truth is, every single one of us here, we live in a world where we have to deal with things that there's nothing we can do about it. There are things that happen, and there's nothing I can do about it. And it can be so terribly frustrating if you have to fight traffic to get here. Something happens, and there's nothing you can do. You can sit at a red light, and for whatever reason, red light here in Charlotte now means, hey, check your phone. <laughs> check your phone. Get really involved in something on the phone so that you won't move when the green light comes up. Nothing I can do about it. Somebody in front of me is doing that. I mean, nothing Christian I can do about it, I should say. Here's a description that says to us, that's the world we live in. It's a fallen world. It's a world where things happen. You can't do anything about those things. They are beyond your control, but we believe in a sovereign God that has all things in control, and it causes us to trust that. One of the greatest things you can actually build into your Christianity is trusting God in the middle of something that is beyond your control. And so much of what you deal with, if it's, if it's people, so, so much sin that goes on is beyond your control. And oftentimes it actually affects you. You, you. you can't change somebody else's heart. We live in a fallen world. People act in fallen ways. All creation fallen. It groans. It's beyond our control. So, if you're going to live like that, if you're not careful, you are then controlled by your environment all the time. All you're doing is reacting. You just react to stuff. Instead, I'm going to just invite you, as a Christian, you can be resolute. This Sunday, I'm going to preach Romans chapter 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. That whole passage uh, is about what the Holy Spirit does in the believer. That when, when we are in Christ, Christ is in us. There's this Trinitarian formula. You're going to see the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see what it, the evidence of the, of the Spirit in us. We've been given something. We've given something that, that allows us not just to sort of endure, although sometimes it feels like it's what we're doing in life, you can, even the worst, actually rejoice in the Lord that is your strength. Be resolute. Look at, look at verse 4. I talked about verse 3 more than I meant to. Verse 4. Verse 4 is filled with procrastination. So here's another observation. This feels like Proverbs. Ever read Proverbs? If you're not reading Proverbs, it's, it's 31 chapters. Pick one chapter that corresponds with the day. Read that proverb. It'll take you five minutes in the morning. It's just bumper sticker kind of theology that says a couple of verses. Verse 4 feels like a proverb. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. So sowing, reaping. There in... Fall, when are, you supposed to, when are you supposed to sow? The fall or the spring? Anybody know? Yeah. Uh, what crop? That's a, better, that's a better question. In the spring, you're going to sow. In the fall, you're going to reap. So if it, when it's time to sow the seed, you're standing around looking at the sky, nothing gets done. Same is true. When it's time to get the crops in, you're standing around, kind of fecklessly, just sort of looking at the sky. Nothing. The idea is very few great enterprises ever wait for ideal conditions. In fact, as I looked at verse 4, I started thinking, 
He observes the wind will not sow. He regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, I did live in a farming community, two of them. In the second farming community I lived in, they, they grew a lot of hay because they were all cattle farmers. And um, hay is, when you, when you cut hay, it has to lay for a little bit, dry out, then you can... Uh, then you can roll it up in those big bales and put them in a barn. But if you do it too quickly and it's still green, it's going to burn up. And if you put a bunch of that in your barn, you're going to burn up the hay and the barn. Right, I mean, so it's a little bit of a science. So you, if it's getting cloudy, you want to be careful um, because if you cut the hay and it gets on the ground and it rains on it, it's ruined. It's a little bit of a gamble. And the idea may not, may not be just sort of laziness. The idea might be, in verse 4, it might be sort of indecisiveness. Thinking about what are the ideal condi conditions. And the truth of the matter is, we don't have... We're not always going to be given ideal conditions. And you wait on the ideal conditions, you might not actually take the action you need to do. So, be resolute. Let me give you another one in verse 5, and that is just to be, be humble. Be humble. Some think, uh, as I was studying this, verse 5 could be connected to John chapter 3. Do you remember John 3, where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And that's when they have their discussion about being born again. And, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, those who are born of the Spirit, right? they're different. Right? So they could have... Could have been connected here. As you do not know the way that the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. As people that believe the Bible and believe in life, we believe that life begins at, at conception. We believe that strongly. We stand adamantly opposed to abortion. But we be believe that because it's, because it's what God does. That, that conception, it's, it's beyond our, our grasp. It's where life begins. And, and even here, when Solomon writes this, he's saying, you don't know exactly how this works. And so you're not, you're not confident of what God might be doing in something that feels obvious to you. As you do not know the, the way that the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you don't know. The work of God who makes everything. God right now is doing 10,000 things this very second that we don't know anything about. He's doing 10,000 things in the world around us with people that we know, setting up the circumstances of our lives so that the events when we leave here tonight, leading into next week, they're, they're already being taken care of. And we can't conceive that. I don't, I don't want to worship a God that I'm able to figure out. But there should be, in how we view God, something that's beyond our reach. If, if it's within your reach, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, there, there are going to be markers that you just can't get there to reach. So be humble when you think of God. I would take you uh, down to verse 6 and say to be diligent. I need to pick up the pace a little bit. Number four, be diligent. Are you there in verse six? In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. So in the morning you're working, in the evening doing the same thing. 
for you do not know which will prosper, the seed that you cast in the morning or that which you cast at night. You do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So it's the idea, as you find in the New Testament, uh, be, be ready in season and out of season. You don't know when it's, it's going to be necessary. Or, or what the Bible teaches in the New Testament, that we are to, to make the most of our days. Why? Why do we make the most of our time? Because the days are evil. So we live in an evil time, and we ought to be doing that which we need to do. To, to be proactive. I would press this even further to spiritual things. Um, we procrastinate spiritually. Oftentimes we'll procrastinate on our own personal devotion. So, so maybe it's getting into November, you haven't been spending time with the Lord, you normally would. You've uh, decided to sleep a little later in the mornings. Or maybe you go to social media, that's a, that's a temptation. Uh, for me a lot of times is to see the news before I go to the Bible, it's a, it's a temptation. And we sort of think, okay, January's coming. I'm working right now on what our plan will be, reading the Bible through from January to December for 2020, sort of a church-wide discipleship, uh, memorizing scripture, books to read, so that if you decide you want to grow as a Christian, you'll be able to do that. It will show you the pathway to do that. Sometimes people wait, all right, well, I'll, look, I know I need to get in shape, so January's coming, New Year's resolution. And I would just say that to press into that, whether... You've, you've put off something spiritually or, or a neighbor, somebody you know in your life that actually you need to have a conversation about Jesus with and you just have not just worked up. You've had the opportunity, just haven't taken it. I just would say to find a way to be proactive, to be diligent. But, but in, in the middle of that, we also need to be joyful, right? Be joyful. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9, really verse and 10. Verse 7 seems to be a far cry from vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities is not a good statement. It, it is basically saying it feels like everything's worthless. Verse 7 doesn't feel like that. Verse 7 carries with it a real contentedness. You know that when you're content, that is one of the greatest uh, defenses against sin is being contented. In other words, it's hard to tempt a man... To eat something when he's already full. Unless he's just an absolute glutton, right? You, you're just not... It's, it's, I have a much easier time uh, passing up a piece of pound cake if I've already had three or four pieces of that pound cake. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, I'm content with the pound cake. I'm happy I, don't, I just don't need more. Now, if I ain't had that pound cake and it comes floating by, then I'm, I want it. Right? So... Content, if you can be content, and as a Christian, I'm going to talk about this on um, uh, Sunday. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, 10, and 11 talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The more we are actually content in Christ, I think part of the Christian problem in America is we become Christians and yet we don't get content in Jesus. If we can settle contentment in Jesus, it, it helps us tremendously when we go to fight off temptation. Verse 7 has just a light, just has a great contentedness. Light is sweet, it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. 
It's a, there's a simple common grace niceness. Right? Uh, a lot of times on Wednesdays, it didn't happen today because I had to go to the hospital to visit a couple of folks and, um, and I was out. John Stigmert and I, we ate lunch today. But oftentimes on Wednesdays, I don't get to eat lunch. And if I come in in the morning, I'm here all day. And then we'll come here and uh, do the Bible study um, and forget to go outside. Uh, just miss. And then sometimes if I'm doing that, I'll, I'll just go ahead and just go outside. Just walk outside for a minute. Because it feels good to have the sun on your face a little bit. Uh, this part of the year is my wife's. She hates this time of the year. Because they've stolen some daylight and now it's cold. So it's just, she doesn't like it. Uh, she likes when the sun is shining and when it's hot. Right? So, so she'll get out there and try to get as much sun as possible. One of the great things to remember is we've been given so much. To find a real, I mean, the Bible speaks of it. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. You know how, why he gives you the desires of your heart? Well, if you're delighted in the Lord, your heart's desires are actually that which is God's will. Delight in God, then he's giving you what you're already delighting in. It's great contentment. Psalm 118 is, is, to, is this call to rejoice in the day that you've been given, what you have right now. Contentedness is a wonderful Matthew chapter 6. I'm trying to memorize Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7. I've gotten Matthew 5, and I'm just about through Matthew 6, but I hadn't gotten to this part of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 31 and following. You probably know this, right? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. Here it is. Here's your contentedness. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all, all these things will be added to you. In verse 34, true. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Contentedness. I just want to, just a basic, a basic truism. Life is good when you are content in Christ. Marriages last. Divorce is avoided. Envy goes away. Bitterness is taken care of. Life is good when you are content in Christ. So, contentedness, but also being careful. We need to be careful. When I say careful, what I mean, careful in your thinking. How you think. One of the things we forget as Christians is to engage our minds, to actually think. That's why we, you'll hear me on Sunday mornings talk about it. It happens with our children and our student. We're, we're trying to, to help them get a grasp on good, solid, biblical, robust theologies or thinking about God. It's a right and good thing to do. But sometimes we just forget to do that. Verse 8 speaks of careful thinking. 
So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. The days of darkness, death, will be many. All that comes is vanity. So what's going on here in verse 8? It's careful consideration. Not morbid, not morbid. Sometimes Ecclesiastes can feel morbid. You've been thinking about death all the time. And we don't want to do that, Christians. We ought to be optimistic. It's true. But we don't need to always be chirpy. What I mean is we don't have to, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be wonderful and exciting. And you call Hickory Grove, I'm not going to answer the phone and say, hey, this is exciting Hickory Grove Baptist Church. I mean, I've known preachers and churches that did that. Hey, this is exciting, and Sunday is going to be, Sunday is fun day, and it's going to be wonderful. And that's a, that's a false feeling gospel, because that's not what people need. People need to know we're serious about this. You've come into, to, with a genuine need. You didn't come to Chuck E. Cheese, right? You came because there's a hole here, and you need it filled with something good. And so the preacher here is calling the reader to, to think now, to give full consideration, not to the past, but, but thinking about death. That death will come, and when it does, it issues a permanent call. That, for instance, the days of your life, whether you live to be 110, or you don't, my, my granddad on my mother's side died when he was 52, of his fourth heart attack, so he didn't live that long. My grandmother, she's 97. She, she's proven to live a pretty long life. So, But whether you're, the days of your life are many or few, death is actually permanent. Right? So I'm going to say it another way. The time that you spend dead, the Lord tarries, the time that you spend dead will be infinitely longer than the time that you have spent alive. Does that make you feel good so far? Feel uplifted? You're like, man, I love this class so much. Yeah, yeah. So let me say it another way. The time that you spend above ground will be infinitely shorter than the time that you actually spend below ground. If that's the case, if that's the case, we need to reflect on three things. We need to reflect on our activity. What are we doing? What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with what God has given me? I have a limited amount of time. Who knows how long it is? What am I doing? My activity. Another one I need to reflect on is my priorities. What, am I, what is my focus? Where am I putting my life? What am I thinking about? Who am I spending time with? What am I investing myself in? What am I giving myself? Where's the money going? I mean, shouldn't it all some kind of way be tied to pointing people in your own life to Jesus? And then the third thing we need to consider is eternity. Eternity. Not just my eternity, and not just what I'll be doing in eternity, but the people around me that God has put me in, in the context to share Christ with. So, so we need to be content, we need to be careful, but we also should be cautiously uh, optimistic. Do you have that on your sheet? Is that right? Y'all with me? Okay. Cautiously optimistic. Verses 9, 10, and 11. Look at, the, look at the cautious optimism. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you all the days of your youth. 
Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. In other words, you need to enjoy life. So, so verse 9 is, you, don't be ashamed to enjoy yourself. Give yourself to enjoyment. Right? If you like a good steak, eat that steak. There's a little bit of a paraphrase here, but that's what you know, it's sort of getting at. But verse 9, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Which is interesting to me, here in the Old Testament, you don't see it much, but that, that is an indication that there is a judgment. Right? So Solomon at least had some vague idea there's a judgment day, there is an afterlife. It's not just that you die and that's it. There will be some sort of judgment. Keep reading, verse uh, 9 and then 10. Remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So, I mean, you put all that together, there is this idea of rejoice. Your heart ought to be filled with cheer and joy. Uh, whether you're a young man, middle age, getting older. You need to have a, a nice time. But, remember, God is going to judge you. St. Augustine, uh, you probably have heard this before. Uh, St. Augustine, you know, it's, He's funny because Catholics and Protestants claim St. Augustine. He wrote The City of God. Sometimes he sounds a whole lot like a Catholic when you read his writings. Other times he is pointed to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's really where we get, so Paul, Augustine, and then the Reformers. St. Augustine is to have said, supposedly, Love God, and then do what you want. So think about that a minute. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, you've thrown yourself into the grace of God. You love God with all you have to love Him in Christ. You love Him, then with that, your conscience becomes your guide to know what to do. Now, you have to be real careful with that thought because it sounds very libertarian. It sounds sort of like I'm just, I have license to do whatever. No, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, your conscience has been washed in the blood of Jesus, then you're not, you're not going to pursue those things that are not God-honoring. So verses 9 and 10 have this idea of being governed by God. So we have the freedom. You ought to enjoy life, understand that there is a, you, you have, I mean, there's a judgment out there. We're governed by God, but it's a happy government. So often, if we're not careful, we put God as if he doesn't want us to enjoy, right, to flourish. And the truth of the matter is, he has created us to flourish. Sin is that which has kept us from flourishing. He has given us Jesus as the, the antidote, solves that. Even though we live in a fallen world, we, we live with great joy under this government, a happy government. When you think about the judgment of God, don't think of it as the sword of Damocles ha hanging over you that's just going to drop at any point. That's a wrong way of thinking about it. Think of the judgment of God that the sins we've committed, past, present, future sins, all of them, when you're in Christ, have been judged on Jesus. Whatever pain we go through here, God now, he disciplines his children, not judge them. You, you with me on that? So at the cross, 
That's where all the judgment of God has fallen on for God's children. When we're corrected, that's not judgment, it's discipline. The Bible says that God disciplines those he, he loves. So we need to be cautiously optimistic. I would then take it to the sixth one, to be, we should be godly, be godly. Chapter 12, you see chapter 12, I'll give you a couple of uh, things in chapter 12. Verse 1, we need to follow the Lord in the prime of life. Prime of life. How many of you feel like you're now in the prime of life? Okay, so none of this applies to you. It's too late. But we do have people it does, it does apply to. I mean, right, generationally, we, we have the faith that was once and for all handed to the saints. Someone gave it to you. You're now giving it to others. And with our children, students, with young men, we're trying to give that. We want to keep passing, right? Verse 1, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, for which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The idea in verse 1 is to begin early to walk with the Lord. So where God has been neglected, where, where God has been neglected, the, the capacity for joy is lost. It is a good and right thing for us to do our best to have as much Bible in our children and students so that when they become Christians, remember when Paul became a Christian, he already knew a whole lot of the Bible, and the Holy Spirit now ignited that. He was able to write the New Testament because he knew the Bible. So we want to have as much Bible in our, in our students so that when the Holy Spirit enters their, their minds and hearts, there's something to ignite there. And what a great thing to, to come to Christ when you're 12 or 13, be discipled, and then walk with the Lord Jesus through teenage years into your early 20s. For those of you that came to Christ late in life, think about all the terrible things you could have avoided. What a joy it is, right? To, to walk with the Lord early, to be godly, to follow the Lord in the prime of your life. Or if you have influence of people that are younger than you, to help them come, come along. Okay, that's, that's early. Let's go to late. I'm going to say we need to trust the Lord near the end of life. The end of life. As you age. 30, 40, 50. 55. 60. 70. How old, Betty? 83. We have some 90s. Yeah, I got some 90s back there. Say so you're 76. This is for you. You ready? Here it is. Let's start. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Evil meaning bad, difficult, not evil like, not godly. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Setting the stage. See if you can identify what the preacher is saying here. In the days when the keepers of the house 
tremble and the strong men are bent. Everything he's talking about there. Probably your constitution. Uh, your, your back, uh, legs and arms. The idea of that which moves you. And as the body ages and gravity does its terrible work. And a, there's this attrition of muscle. Bent. So you felt the, the body weakens over time. And then the grinders, the grinders cease because they are few. What do you think that those are? As uh, your teeth, that's right. Okay, so you're losing muscle mass, your back is hurting, and you're losing your teeth. It's in the Bible now, I'm just reading you what the Bible says here. And the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. That's your eyes. So you're... So you're Losing muscle mass, you're is having a hard time walking, and uh, your teeth are, are falling out, and it's very expensive. Dental work's very expensive. And then now your, your eyes, you're needing those readers. You're going to the drugstore, and you're getting those cheap glasses. They don't work good, from what I hear. So you look through the windows. Uh, They're dimmed, verse 4. And the doors, the doors on the street are shut. It's probably your ears, right? So now it's your teeth, your eyes, your ears. You, you don't walk very well. Shouldn't be driving. <laughs> just read the Bible. Just read the Bible, Miss Betty. Don't be mad with the messenger. The messenger. The doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. One rises up at the sound of a bird. So although you don't hear good, you still are startled and get up in the morning early. Don't. Yeah, I do at weddings. Yeah, yeah, right. Verse 5, uh, they are afraid of what is high, the tares in the way, the almond tree blossoms, probably your hair is gray. Or white, or the grasshopper drags itself along, desire fails. Why? Because the end is on the way. I mean, the mourners, here comes the funeral at the end of verse 5. The mourners go about the streets. And then there's the description, verse 6. So here comes the redemption. So here comes this idea of the beauty. So we live this life of, of faithfulness. We're designed so that as fallen humans, we feel the frailty. It reminds us we need the Lord. It, the hurt reminds us we need the Lord. We're not living forever. It is a reminder being tapped on the shoulder. And verse 6 says, Before the silver cord is snapped, before the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, before the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. With, just insert here, without Christ, it's vanity. Because this is where we're all headed. So what do we do? I'll, I'm going to give you three things at the end. You'll see them. Three things. Number one, we need to handle the word of God with care. We need to handle it with care. 
So if you're, if you're going to be decaying, your life's going to do this, you're going to end up like this, we all are, this is where we're all going, what do we need to be doing? We need to give ourselves to handling the word with care. Look what the preacher, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing, studying, arranging, many proverbs, and they did that with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So, so right here you have this idea of wisdom and knowledge, so with the decay of the body, what you have is the flourishing of the soul. So that which we see, physically, we're, we're in decline. Spiritually, though, we should be on the rise. It's why one of the backward things of American culture, American culture worships youth. What it should be doing is showing reverence to age. Right? Because you've been around. I mean, even my, I mean, I'm 50. I'm 50. Been around. I keep wanting to put some time on. I was thinking about Connie. She's got a number beyond my father. I didn't tell y'all what it was. So, but you've, I mean, you've got some experience, and God uses that. He redeems it. He sanctifies it. So the preacher's saying we have this wisdom and knowledge, and, and with the word you study it, there's great care. Look, when you read verses 9 and 10, do you see the idea of he's turned it over? There's great care, they're arranging, weighing. They're, the idea in verses 9 and 10 is there's a lot of thought given to the word of God. Verse 10, he's speaking truth, and not only that, he's making it interesting, because it is interesting. One of the great things we can do is we can handle the word of God with, Another thing we can do is, in verse 11, is we need to submit to the words guidance. Do you see those two words, goads and nails? Let me show it to you in verse 11. Verse 11. Words of the wise, so Proverbs, words of the wise are like goads and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So goads, nails. Goads is like a, like a, it's like a, like a cattle prod. Ever used a cattle prod? Uh, it's an exciting thing to use on a cow. Don't use it on a human. But the one they use now, you got a little tip on the end, a little electricity, and gets the steer going in the right direction. Right? So what's it? I mean, it's goad, right? The stick. It's sometimes painful. God's word is a goad. Sometimes painful. It keeps us going in the right direction. That's why we need it in our lives. It's a goad. Another word is nail. To nail, right, verse, verse 11. Nails firmly fixed. They're like nails firmly fixed of the collected sayings in one place. You, I can take it and drive it in the wall, find a stud behind that drywall, drive it in the wall, it's firmly there, you can hang something on it. It's the Bible, here's this the Bible. Drive it into your soul, you can hang your life on it. Why? Because at the end of verse 11, verse 11, there's one source. You see the source? They're given by one shepherd. So we want to handle the word with care. We want to submit to the word's guidance. And we want to make the word our, our teacher, our central. Verse 12, when I was in college, was my favorite verse. It was the memory verse I had in college. Verse 12 was, uh, Beware of anything beyond these, of the making of many books. There's no end. Much study is weariness of the flesh. I love that verse coming up because I could take it out of context and recite it. Truth of the matter is, 
put in context, we have this idea of God's Word, 12, 13, and 14, being our tutor. You see, law and grace, law and grace. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandment, for this is the whole duty of man, law. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And how do I get grace out of that? Because I'm going to see all those sins. What a terrible, terrible, terrible thought that all of my sins, whether spoken or unspoken, done in secret or in public, whether people knew about them or not, they are, they are brought out and every single one of them is covered by what Jesus did on the cross. Thank God for that. A wonderful picture of grace and we are driven there by the preacher to make the word my tutor. Get to know and love the Bible. Submit to the authority of God's word and we handle it with care because it points us to the goodness of God found in Jesus. Aging with grace. Let me close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, you are good to us through Jesus and by your spirit. You are our triune God. We want to worship you more fully. We want to know you more completely. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to be found faithful. And though we live in a fallen world and oftentimes with frustration, we ask God that you would grant grace that our lives might reflect the goodness of who you are. So Lord, we pray you would sustain us that you will use us, that you might provide for us, that you would cheer our hearts, keep us from falling off the road on one side into depression or on the other side into frivolity. Lord, call us to find our joy in the Lord. Bring us back Sunday ready to worship. We need you. Our church needs you to, we need to worship you. And so we, we pray you make that happen Sunday. We pray you'd bring people here that have not submitted to Jesus, that they would see how wonderful this gospel is. Help us to reflect it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.